Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Jill Ramsey, CEO of AKA Brands, a publicly traded fashion company that counts Princess Polly among the high-growth brands in its portfolio. I wanted to ask Jill about AKA Brands' unique business model, inclusive of strategic acquisitions and digital-focused strategies, and about the challenges and changes it's experienced in the last two years. Welcome, Jill. Thank you, Jill. Oh my God, I'm so happy to have you here. For those who don't know AKA Brands, let's talk business model. What's going on here? Awesome. Well, really super excited to be here and um, share our story with you and your listeners. Um, We are a group of super cool fashion brands. We invest in digitally native, direct-to-consumer fashion brands. And as a group, we accelerate their growth through all of the synergies that you can can harness uh, as a group. Um, and, you know, you may know some of our five brands today, Princess Polly, an awesome young teen, teen brand for women, uh, Culture Kings, a super cool men's streetwear brand, Minimal, another men's streetwear brand, Pedal and Pop, uh, another women's uh, fashion brand, and Reb Dolls. And so that's our five brands today. Uh, and notably, we are also on the hunt constantly to add really cool brands to our portfolio. Um if you tell me about yeah, go ahead. tell me about that growth trajectory. What brands came first, and what what brands make sense for your company? Yeah, so um, you know the five brands we have today. It all started back in 2018. We made our first investment in Princess Polly. Uh, Princess Polly was a very cool teen brand that was started in Australia um, and really focused on. Uh, high fashion and bringing in a constant stream of newness. And they were really born on social media um, and very early um, out there growing the brand on social media through influencers. Um, And we made an investment in Princess Polly because we saw this brand was already starting to pop and um, have demand in the U.S. So we made an investment in Princess Polly with the idea that we could really grow and scale them in the U.S. market. Um, Australia is a really interesting market to find popular brands that might perform well and scale in the U.S. Um, and so we did that with Polly and then we invested in another Australian brand called Petal and Pop, um, uh, another, a year later. And then we got our third brand, Reb Dolls, uh, a year after that. Um, and then we, uh, have been scaling those first three. And then last year we added Culture Kings and Minimal to the mix. Um, so, so expanded yeah. into the men's, the men's category. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So do you consider yourself a holding company? Is that a, an appropriate description? We're a platform, I would say. Um, unlike yeah. a holding company, we actually have, um, a group of e-commerce experts at the AKA corporate level. And many of us have been in e-commerce for over 20 years. Um, We have all worked together in larger e-commerce organizations. um, And we are able to lean in and support our brands in scaling. Uh, We help them with Uh, hiring and recruiting talent. We help them with all the corporate functions. If you think about it, um, I like to simplify it and say we help with the business of fashion so our brands can focus on the art of fashion or back of house, front of house. So corporate functions like finance, IT, 
legal, um, uh, supply chain operations, our brands are really, really good at the front end of fashion, at marketing, at merchandising, creative and social media. And so we help them with more of those back of house functions. So unlike a, a holding company that's just really um, a financial structure for a lot of sub companies, we are deeply involved supporting the brands and, and scaling them. Um, and then we we get a lot of synergies as a group. Um, they get better costs. Um, we you know we negotiate all of, all of our costs as a group, and then we share a lot of insights. Um, the group uh, share a ton of knowledge across the brands, which makes them all better. Okay, great. Are these I guess more these are designer led, or who's typically the creative that that's fueling all of this? Yeah, newness and the the, the counter to your company. Yeah. These are young brands. They're really sort of next generation brands by the next generation and for the next generation. So these are young founder led brands. Um, you know, I, I'm sure we all see it. There's a whole generation of these young brands that are just born out there on social media. We all see them in our feeds every day. These brands are, um, you know, popping up and, and we see them everywhere. And they're really, really good at that front-end content. They really know how to create um, inspirational content that resonates with their end customer and that audience. And they they know how to spot the right fashion that will really connect um, with their audience. And um, they're, they're masters at that. But, but on their own, these young brands can struggle to scale, which is where AKA comes in. And we support them in, in scaling and, you know, networking with the other brands. So it's their founder led brands typically by, by young next gen talent and teams. Well, you have this amazing, impressive background, uh, formerly Chief Product Digital Revenue Officer at Macy's, also experienced as a VP at eBay, and 15 years at Walmart in e-commerce. So a lot of these people, um, you came over in May of 2020, a lot of the team that's in place now, they're they're part of your, your past. Did you, you recruited or brought on a lot of these guys? Um, yeah, exactly. I've spent my entire career in e-commerce, um, uh, you know, over 22 years, I've been at the big guys, 15 years at Walmart, a couple over at eBay, and then was running Macy's.com. But I left all of the big guys really because when I think about what's ahead in e-commerce, it's that the next 20 years look really different than the first 20 years of e-commerce. And so I saw that this was an incredible opportunity to bring a lot of my experience and hindsights and and bring those and share those with sort of the next generation of e-commerce. And, you know, I like to say, you know, our hindsights become their foresight. Um, and, you know, we can, we also learn a ton from these next generation teams. They are so good at social media. Um, and so, you know, while I have a lot to teach them about inventory management and replenishment and all the lessons I've learned over the years of managing huge volumes of inventory, um, they have a lot to teach me about how to, how to grow a brand on TikTok. So it's, it's really fun. Yeah. I was going to ask if over the last two years, if the brands that you're maybe eyeing or saying, you know, this brand has something to teach us, this brand is taking off. Like if it's really been about them resonating on TikTok versus Instagram, are, are you more so focusing your, your, um, I guess scouting and such on that channel? 
Yeah, um, you know, TikTok is uh, is a great you know emerging new platform that we're we're certainly out early on, and we've been out there iterating and 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 testing and learning um, and scaling that and having a lot of success. Um, what I would say is that you know the consumer is just constantly just flipping and changing between platforms all day long. Um, and so there, you need to be across all, all the places that your consumer is, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, where, wherever your consumer is. And they're also really evolving where they spend more and more of their time. It is constantly shifting. She has moved literally from Facebook to Instagram to YouTube to TikTok, and more of her time is spent now on, on TikTok. So our brands are constantly evolving where they go. We we like to be out early, um, you know, as we see new platforms emerging, we are out there and figuring out how to resonate with that audience. And the content looks different. Oftentimes a video that performs well on TikTok is really different than a video that may perform on, on YouTube or Instagram Reels. So we are, um, you know, constantly refining that. And TikTok, we're starting to get quite a bit. It's now our fastest growing channel. It's not our most efficient yet. So we have to tune the machinery to get the better uh, return on advertising spend. So we've been, we've been fine tuning that, but um, getting a lot of, lot of momentum there. Well, you guys IPO'd in September, which congrats. Tell me about how that's been, um, I guess, felt within the business. How has that changed what you do? So the IPO was an exciting milestone for us in September that really allowed us to, um, you know, first and foremost, um, make our brands and make our company known. It was a big opportunity to share our story with with the world. So um, that was a big opportunity for us, as well as tapping into, um, you know, financing to continue continue buying more brands. And as well, attracting great, great talent and attracting brands to be interested. So the IPO was a really exciting milestone moment for us, but it really hasn't changed anything per se in terms of our mission. We're really focused on growing and scaling the brands that we have, as well as continuing our, our hunt um, and, and look for, for great brands to add to the group. So um, yeah, I think it's just made us, it's just put us a little bit more on, on the mark and, and made us more known if anything. For sure. Well, tell me about some other commonalities between these brands. They seem to be more, um, on the affordable end, I guess I would say they seem to maybe have, um, either sustainability or, um, maybe inclusivity at their core. Like, is that, I, I guess by design, um, is that also what you're going for? Let me just start with, first of all, we have, you know, a, a very diversified group of five brands today that each one of these brands is really focused on, on a distinct audience. They're all focused on young Gen Z and millennial customers, but they're each sort of tapping into and appealing to a different demographic. So as I mentioned, Polly's really, you know, that young teen, 15 to 25 year old female, really focused on um, going out and hanging out clothes. Um, Petal and Pup is a slightly older female, 25 to 40, um, really focused on that next chapter of life. She's sort of getting married, starting a family. Um, and then Reb Dolls really appeals to um, a more diverse audience. 70% of the Reb Dolls customers are black female. And we also carry a, a much broader extended size range. And so 
really focused on that. Um, and then Culture Kings appeals to uh, a men's streetwear audience, sort of 18 to 35, um, as well as minimal. Um, and they're very focused on, on denim and bottoms. So we have a diversified group of brands, and that's you know really one of our one of our um, strategies is to carry a diverse range of brands, and so we're constantly looking for things that can continue to diversify the group. Um, but you know we and and Princess Polly notably is really um, a leader amongst our brands on sustainability. Princess Polly is um, you know doing really great things. They've um, been able to. Uh, you know, revamp a lot of their assortment. Now 20% of their offering is made from recyclable, renewable, or sustainable fabrics, um, which is really resonating with their end consumer who's um, puts a really, you know, that's very important to their end consumer and very important to us um, and across our brands. Um, they are looking to scale that to 40%. So we'll double our, oh, wow. our assortment range in sustainable fabrics by the end of the year to 40%. Um, and then they, um, also are, are really all of their packaging, everything in their packaging is compostable and recyclable. So what we're able to do is, you know, Princess Polly is, you know, very much a leader on that. We're able to take those learnings from Princess Polly and then share that across our group of brands. So Petal and Pop can like take a lot of those learnings, leverage a lot of the um, sourcing and suppliers and now start yeah. to carry a broader range themselves. So that's that's an example of how our brands share best practices and learnings across across the group. Awesome. I know there's something to your um, production where it's um, very focused on not, not overproducing. Would love to hear more about that because I feel like you think of Princess Polly, you think it's trend driven, it's sexy, probably competing with the Sheehan's of the world. And yet it, the price points are, are higher. And like you said, um, able to, um, I guess, have a sustainability message without being laughed at. <laughs> Tell me about the, the competition in the space and differentiating and, and how you're able to attract that customer who, who again, is looking at, at brands with a similar aesthetic. Yeah. So let me unpack that. Um, there are a couple of different angles there. You know, certainly first, um, let, me, let me take the, um, you know, the question on Shein. Um, so our, our Princess Polly competes on quality and experience. So um, we are competing in that price, that mid-range price point, about $39, $40 per garment, um, and have a very quality, a quality garment with really great fit. And so we're known for our quality and fit. Um, and our customers kind of keep coming back because of that very predictable quality and fit. Um, additionally, we have a great experience. We're able to get um, our products to customers in a matter of days. Um, we we call it wear it this weekend, so that the young customer can can pick out great clothes to go um, go out and party in over the weekend. Um, and it's a it's a very predictable, consistent, high quality experience, which is different than some of the more um, introductory price point fast fashion platforms like a Shein. Um, the, the consumer experience and the quality can be very inconsistent. Um, obviously, they have um, a very specific part of the market they're appealing to. It's very much that opening price point. 
um, sometimes that one time wear fashion um, where Princess Polly is uh, a little bit more uh, step up in, in quality and premium. And, and that's certainly what gets our customers coming back for more. We have an incredibly high repeat rate, over 60%. Um, and definitely uh, the, the quality of, and predictability of the experience is a big piece of that. Um, on the sourcing side, so we are sourcing, we have a, a really diversified um, set of suppliers that we're sourcing across a number of countries. Um, and, you know, one thing, though, that is in common, we do source um, very, from suppliers that have a very quick design and production process. So we are able to get our fashion to our customers within 30 to 45 days. Um, we are dropping a constant stream of new fashion. So every, every week we're introducing um, hundreds of new styles and we test and learn to see what the customer likes and doesn't like. And so we don't actually buy, like a traditional buying cycle would be buying nine months out and taking really big inventory bets, um, you know, three quarters in advance we are actually doing much more real-time buying, which in the end allows you to be much more efficient with your inventory because you, you know exactly what the customer likes and you only buy back in and you only replenish and buy deep on the styles that your customer likes, which ends up, you know, there's a number of benefits from that. One, you're getting trends to customers faster. Um, two, you also, you don't have to take as many markdowns. So from an, a profitability standpoint, it's, it's much more advantageous, advantageous to your gross margins. You have a very high full, full price sell through of 80%. And then finally, there's the, the environmental impact. It's, it's much lighter carbon footprint in that you're not, um, you know, producing all of this huge amounts of inventory that the customer may or may not even want. You're really only producing the inventory that your customer wants. First of all, um, Princess Polly, it's all over TikTok. <laughs> yes. I'm seeing it from everywhere. What, what is the strategy? Is that about gifting influencers? Is it about teaming with the right influencers, paying influencers? What's going on? Yeah. So let me talk to you a little bit about just our broader um, approach on influencers. Um, we, we have a slightly different approach to social media influencers than others. We are really focused on um, micro influencers and we have been able to grow our brand by um, building a vast network of relationships with smaller influencers that really appeal to that end customer. Um, the advantage of uh, a broad network of micro-influencers versus fewer big mega and celebrity influencers is that the end customer really perceives micro-influencers as more authentic, first and foremost, right? They understand that big celebrity influencers are absolutely paid and, like, I think have lost maybe some of their authenticity behind the brands that they sponsor, um, whereas the micro influencers really have that authentic uh, perception with the with the end customer, they're also much more affordable. Um, many of them will work um, and post post for just for in exchange for free samples. Um, a lot of them are such brand enthusiasts; they just love Princess Polly and would love to um, you know do a try on haul and post about it. So it's much more cost effective. Um, and um, also, you know, at the end of the day, too, with the large mega and celebrity influencers, there's a little bit of reputational risk. 
you take on. When you put when you put your brand in the hands of few celebrity influencers, you are exposed. Whereas if you are in the hands of a much broader network of micro influencers, um, you know there's no single singular reputational risk there. Um, and we have a vast growing and dynamic network of these influencers. Um, you know, we have over 17,000 uh, partnerships. We're doing a thousand collaborations a week. So this is a huge part of our operation. And we're sending out, you know, thousands of samples every week. Um, and we're able to actually track all of the customers that we get through this network of influencers. Um, so we, you know, we're, we're out on, we have 6 million followers on our own channels, on our own social media channels across, across our brands. And we, we post our content on our social media channels, and then we amplify it through these 17,000 influencers, which just gets you massive impression, you know, millions of impressions every week out there in social media. Um, and we can track exactly how many customers we're getting from these different influencers. And we actually are able to really constantly optimize that, um, that network and bring in, you know, test new ones and take unproductive ones out of the program. And, you know, I think, you know, when you think about the future of influencers, you know, it all started with the big megas, right? Like the Jenners. <laughs> and, um, yes. They, they showed us all, you know, and they, they showed us all how, how this was going to work on social media and taught, taught everyone about this. Um, but today, everyone's an influencer, right? Like, you know, it, it has gone smaller and smaller and smaller, such that we're even leaning into just college students. We launched an influencer program in the fall with college students um, and got 20,000 signed up immediately to just, hey, they raise their hand. I want to be a Princess Polly influencer. Um, and we've been, you know, screening and picking the best of those. But, you know, we get now still in that program, even though it was launched back in the fall, we're still getting a thousand a week that are interested in signing up. So, you know, the future is tiny when it comes to influencers. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about how you're able to track what's coming in, um, sales that are coming in from those influencers. Is it about a promo code or something like that? Ex exactly. Yeah. So those codes, um, both um, those promotions and codes both help us you know, attract new customers into the mix and then also are able to, um, with precision, track and see, you know, who, who, who came in through the influencer program, which really is an amazing way to really monitor the effectiveness of your marketing spend. Um, in this case, the, the spend was the cost of the sample and shipping it, as well as the little bit of cost on that promotional code. Um, and then sometimes the influencers charge uh, a nominal posting fee, um, which is dependent on the, the size of their audience a bit. This is so interesting. Tell me when you're kind of reading through the, the influencers that maybe the, the college students or high schoolers that are applying, um, who who you think will work and and when you're kind of sifting through this girl worked this didn't like what are you finding in terms of what works yeah um well i think first and foremost it's you know we look at their audience size uh, we look at their uh, content, the quality of the content itself, and how synergistic it feels with our brand um there's some important elements of our brand content at Princess Polly in particular, we are 
um, re it's really important to us that we don't do any retouching to our content. Um, our audience really likes and is inspired by much more authentic looking, um, you know, visions of beauty and not like that very retouched um, and artificial version of beauty. But we so literally we have um, bruises and, you know, acne and stretch marks and tattoos and you name it. It's not airbrushed or retouched out. And so um, you know, we look for, you know, authenticity in, in the content as well. And just, um, is she gonna, is she gonna resonate with our audience? And so, you know, we will try a lot though. Um, you know, we are constantly diversifying our, our influencer set, and we really want to make sure that the influencers and our models are really a nice reflection of our customer audience, um, and another great example, recently, we've even expanded Princess Polly into extended sizes. So we've really, the brand used to stop at size 12, and now we have really um, extended that much further and are offering a much broader range um, and have had some great success with that as we've continued to diversify the brand. I love that. Who is the team? Is this in-house that is kind of driving this huge influencer program? Is it is it in-house? Yes, exactly. So um, Princess Polly has been working on this now for a, a better part of a decade. Um, they have um, a, a team in-house that manages all of this and um, have been kind of fine-tuning the process and reports and everything to, um, to scale that. I'll be darned. That is impressive. And would you say for guys, now that they're newer to your mix, I mean... Style influencers probably <laughs> aren't the the playbook. Is what I'm hearing from from men. What what's the difference there in terms of what what's resonating in terms of marketing? Yeah, so actually, um, the men's side of um, it is actually growing quite a bit as well. Um, I I think you know just who who the influencers are is really different in men's. Um, in in women's, it might just be. Uh, a woman who's particularly fashionable and into fashion and sort of is a fashion enthusiast and has sort of built built a following around that. In men's, it tends to be more um, athletes and artists um, and musicians and rappers and DJs um, tend to have the larger followings. So, um, you know, we're, we're partnering up on the men's side of the house with influencers as well. It just is a different populate. It's a different group of who is influential in that space. And so, um, you know, with the recent changes with college athletes now um, able to participate in this with the NIL changes, um, you know, that really opens up doors for uh, a lot of the college athletes to start participating in this. So we've been leaning in and taking advantage of that on the men's side of the house. How great. Well, what is your plan in terms of future brand expansion? Are you, in 2022, we can expect you to acquire additional brands, yeah? Yeah, so a big part of our model is, um, you know, adding, you know, we're constantly shopping for great new brands with great potential to add to the group. Um, and we're always looking, um, you know, we shop the world for 
the best of the best of these. And um, we have an in-house M&A team that's in constant conversation with prospective brands. Um, you know, the nice thing is now that we've gotten some more uh, traction and visibility, um, I like to say great brands attract great brands. So we're getting a lot more inbounds and people reaching out to us and brands that want to be a part of the group. So we uh, we are constantly looking our um, you know our strategies to add one to two uh, brands a year, and you know we look for smaller brands. Um, you know our our focus is first and foremost is to grow the five we have, but we look for small ones. I like to say they're they're seeds of growth for the future, um, and you know we look for brands that might be different or additive to our group, um, perhaps like an overtly athleisure or performance athletic brand or a brand with an overtly um, sustainable or mission-driven brand or a brand that might diversify us in a new market like Europe. So yeah. we we are looking uh, constantly and um, excited, uh, hopefully, to, to share more later this year. Um, but we've got some great brands in the pipeline. Other than, I mean, the rise of the acceleration of all things digital and, and I guess probably going further into the digital space or channels, any other pandemic shifts that have really impacted your business and your, your original playbook? Yeah. So, um, I mean, certainly the pandemic changed uh, a lot of things in fashion. Um, in the very, very beginning of the pandemic, um, in, in March of 2020, as Coachella got canceled, um, we had a big wave of, of festival returns that, that came back to us in the very beginning. Um, but it was, it was short lived. And, um, ultimately we were able to really pivot at that beginning of the pandemic. We shifted quickly from festival wear and party wear and going out clothes to hanging out and working from home in comfort. Um, and because of the way we buy in this very um, fast, nimble way where we don't buy super deep way out in advance, we didn't get stuck with a whole bunch, you know, a mountain of dresses that we couldn't get out from under. We were able to very quickly shift into, um, you know, whatever the fashion trends of the moment were, which honestly was a lot of comfort clothes and, and wear, wear at home. Um, so that was the first thing, you know, we, we were able to shift our fashion. We also, um, you know, obviously there was just a step change in, in digital adoption at the, at the beginning of the pandemic. And we were able to really keep up with demand also because of our quick, quick turn process. Um, and we've been able to really navigate, you know, whatever the pandemic has thrown at us. And, and it's been a lot, <laughs> um, yes. you know, consumer fashion changes, um, demand, demand changes, um, you know, things closing, things reopening, um, all of the impacts of that, the supply chain impacts. We've been a lot less impacted by a lot of the supply chain um, and have been able to really navigate all of that um, quite well and be able to, to keep trends and inventory flowing to our customers. In-house, outside of just working with influencers, just wondering, I feel like content is at the core of all, a lot of what you do. Um, is there a content studio happening? Are there a lot of creatives in-house or is mostly the power in the influencers' hands? It's it's a mix um, and we absolutely have incredible content creators in-house um, that 
you're right to identify. I mean, content is is everything to these these young brands. I mean, if you like, even just going way back for a second, like if you think about sort of the history of fashion, uh, and I'll start more with my lifetime. You know, we got our inspiration in a magazine, right? And we went to a mall to transact. Um, and those those were very separate. Like the people who produced the content for the magazine were very different than the retailers in the mall. And now all of that has blurred and touched that a brand, a single brand needs to be fantastic at that inspirational content and the product and transacting it. It's all, it's all in one. Um, and so, you know, I almost say like, which comes first, the marketing or the merchandising, right? It's sort of, you, you've got to be incredibly good at both. And so we have just great creatives in-house that really know how to create con imagery and video that really in, uh, is inspirational to that, that audience. But we supplement that with influencer and also um, customer content. So we use customer content or user-generated content as well as influencer content. So the mix is what's the best part about this and what really makes your brand so authentic. It's like you have your in-house produced content You've got your customer-provided content and your influencer content. And the mix of that really defines who your brand is and gives it that incredible authenticity. So it's it's a high mix across those, those content sources. For sure. The new privacy changes and, and the new social media, Facebook, Instagram rules, we'll say, um, roadblocks. Has this, cha- has this changed anything that you're doing? Um, well, you know, we've been less impacted by a lot of the iOS changes because, because we rely so much on the influencer program, we are not so reliant on the just paid, paid ad spend and, you know, where, where that had been impacted last year. Um, I don't want to say we we saw nothing. We absolutely did see in some of our, and we do do some performance, uh, spend, um, and so we did see a little bit of inefficiency there, but it just re-bolsters our focus on growing the influencer program because it's just a better, more efficient, more durable way to build a brand, quite frankly, than just paid ads on social. Um, I think those are a little bit more Ecom 1.0 or 2.0, even you could argue. Um, we're we're working on ecom 3.0 here with the micro influencer strategy. I love that. I feel like the pandemic probably reiterated that what you're doing is in, in focusing on digital is probably the right move. But um, physical retail does that come into play? Yes, notably, one of our brands, Culture Kings, um, is renowned for these incredible stores. They have. Um, eight stores that are highly experiential. I would absolutely call them next generation stores. Um, you know, notably, we are absolutely a, a digital first and a digital majority. Over ninety percent of our volume is digital and direct consumer for, from online. But um, the stores are an incredible opportunity to um, build awareness as well. Um, these Culture King stores are frankly much closer to a Vegas nightclub 
They have, oh, wow. yeah, they're awesome. I've actually, in my entire career in retail, I've never seen anything quite like them. They um, literally feel like a nightclub. There's DJs. Um, they've got DJs, live DJs in the store. Uh, they have a sharpshooter basketball contest going on. They have big celebrities. They bring in famous athletes um, and DJs into the store. Steve Aoki was just in stores a few weeks ago. Um, we've got Shaq coming in um, next month. And so these cool in-store celebrity events create a lot of hype and buzz that we can get content out of and then amplify that on our on our digital properties. So, you know, I don't, the stores are not, it's not going to be one or the other. It's absolutely... The future of retail is a mix of both. It's just that the mix has dramatically changed. You know, it used to be, obviously, the store was the was everything. It was a lion's share of the volume and the growth. Now, the lion's share is really going to be on, on online, and the store is going to play a role in, in driving awareness and allowing the customer to sort of experience your brand firsthand. Um, but we'll start to see retail store footprints are absolutely going to shrink to be much more right-sized for, you know, the future of retail and fashion. I mean, in the U.S., we just got overmalled and overstored. We have 24% more stores and malls than any other developed country um, in the world. So we just went to town uh, building <laughs> malls and stores in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. And, you know, you're, you're seeing a correction for that. But we, we believe stores absolutely have, have a place, um, but it's just a different strategy in, in the future of, of retail. Yeah, well, it definitely seems like what you're doing is right as you um, maintain a digital focus and, and you're really focused on innovation, it seems. Are you um, eyeing or playing in the gaming or the metaverse or any of these like emerging worlds and spaces? Yeah, I mean, our brands are really focused on innovation um, in that, you know, we're, as I mentioned, we're just sort of moving wherever, like trying to stay ahead of our customers and be out there in um, testing and learning. And the metaverse is is no exception. Um, we have some things we're working on internally um, uh, with NFTs and exploring exploring that space. I think no one really knows um, how that's going to evolve, but certainly we all know it's going to be important. I have two young sons, um, and I've lost them to the metaverse, to be completely honest. Um, they have, they put, they put no value on anything physical, but come to me often and want to buy, you know, can I buy a new avatar mommy for, for $2? And they want to buy fashion in the, in the digital world. Um, but the, the great thing about, fashion and, and metaverse and how that will play out. We, you know, it, fashion will never be replaced by the matter. We all have to wear fashion in the real world. We have to wear clothes in the real world. Right. So it's, it's not looking to fully disrupt and um, replace our sector um, like it could potentially do to some other sectors. But I think the metaverse will be a fun add-on and an addition um, to help build your brand and build, build awareness um, and, a, and a fun place to experiment so we're we're in there trying to figure that out just like everyone um, and having some fun with that. Well, can't wait to see what you guys do there. Jill, this has been so, so great and so good to learn about all your brands and all you're doing. Yeah, it was super fun to talk to you, Jill. Thanks so much. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. 
Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.